All right, all right, all right. Good morning, New Life Church. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you. My name is Glenn Packham. I'm one of the associate senior pastors here at New Life Church. For the last 10 years, I have been with New Life Downtown, one of our eight congregations. You know that New Life is a church that's made up of eight different congregations. And so normally I'm hanging out with New Life Downtown on Sunday mornings. And speaking of New Life Downtown, uh, you can pray with us because here's what's happening. Since COVID began, like 16, 17 months ago, we were pushed out of the high school that we normally meet at. We meet at Palmer High School. There's been usually 1,000, 1,100 people that gather at Palmer High School, two, two services every Sunday morning. But we've not been able to meet in there. So it's been, we've been like a traveling congregation for the last year and a half. Uh, we met up here on Sunday nights last summer, and then we met on Sunday mornings in the theater here for a few months. And then, and since February or so, we, we had been meeting at the Antlers Hotel downtown, which was great. We crammed into the ballroom there, two services, but they started to go back to business conventions and conferences. So uh, we still have not been able to get back into Palmer High School because uh, they're doing some repair work, remodeling work. So for the next maybe couple months, you'll see New Life Downtown over across the parking lot at the World Prayer Center. And I'm telling you that for two reasons. One, if you see all these cars and all these people coming into the World Prayer Center and you're like, what's going on? That's just New Life Downtown. That's like your cousin. So you can wave at him when you see him, okay? And, and the second reason I'm telling you this is so that you can join us in praying for the Lord to lead us and provide for us to have a permanent space downtown. It's been a dream of ours. We've got several possibilities uh, that we're praying about, exploring, but we want to continue our mission in the heart of this city and you can join us in, in doing that. Can you join me in that? Is that okay? Church, one church family is really great. Well, it's been fun for me to be able to spend the last three Sundays or the last two Sundays and then today uh, with you. We'll decide if it's fun or not at the end of this one. Uh, but it's been fun for me to be up here. And next Sunday, our senior pastor, the good Bishop Brady Boyd, returns to the pulpit next Sunday. It's going to be great. I know you can cheer now, but really you need to cheer when he comes back next Sunday. Let him know. Let him know that you love him and Pastor Pam, that you've missed them. Uh, we're so grateful that they get time to refresh and study and be renewed and all of that. So uh, he sends his love. And next week he will kick off a new series on the book of Galatians. So if you're wondering in your Bible reading, you're like, what should I read next? Read Galatians with us. We're going to spend a couple months uh, in that book. All right. Today we finished our series on the Proverbs. So join with me in a word of prayer as we open up the scriptures this morning. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the way that you call us into wisdom and into wise living. And we pray today as we listen to the scriptures being read and being taught that Holy Spirit, you would breathe your word to us and that it would wake us up, it would shake us, it would challenge us, it would change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everybody said... Amen. There's a saying that if you live every day as if it were your last, someday you will certainly be right. <laughs> this saying was quoted by Steve Jobs when he was giving his commencement address at the University of Stanford back in 2005. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, we can thank him for the iPads and iPhones. If you're an Android user, we'll pray for you. Uh, one day you'll see the light. But Jobs in 2005 was giving the commencement address at Stanford and he said, he, he mentioned that quote to the students and that's because his talk had three movements to it. And the third and final movement was when Jobs talked about having pancreatic cancer. 
He talked about how the awareness of death actually gave him some freedom. And he said to these young people who were graduating, he said, remembering that you're going to die is the best way to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. But it was really Jobs' first story, his opening monologue that stood out to me. He called it connecting the dots. And he talked about being an orphan and being adopted and entering Reed College and then dropping out of Reed College and then dropping in to take a few design classes and how that led to this aesthetics and the vision that he had when they founded Apple. And Jobs talked about connecting the dots in our lives and he said this, he says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And he actually went on to say, you've got to trust the divine or the universe or whatever you call it to connect the dots in your life. But this morning, we're going to open up the scriptures and say, actually, there's a better way to understand finishing well. There's a better person that we can entrust our life and the dots that seem disconnected in our lives, that we can trust our future and our lives to. And so as we open up, as we finish up Proverbs here, we're gonna look at this question, how do I finish well? And maybe the first question to start with is, what does finishing well actually look like? What does finishing well actually look like? And Proverbs says this, it says this in Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength. And gray hair is the splendor of the old. Now, keep that up for a second. The second half of that trips me up a little bit. Like gray hair is the splendor of the old. So it's not enough that you called me old, now you're pointing out my gray hair. I mean, that's like saying, I'm short, but I'm slow. No, 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 so in the scriptures, gray hair is a picture of wisdom, but not just wisdom, but wisdom learned by going through the fire. Gray hair means you've lived through some stuff. You've, you're not a young buck with all this sort of optimism and you think life is simple and things just work out the way you want it to. Gray hair means you've been through some fires and you've learned some wisdom. And that's what Proverbs is saying. Look, the glory of young men is their strength. They can take on the world. They think that everything's gonna always work out and nothing will ever take them down. And the gray hairs are like, yeah, not totally true. <laughs> you're gonna have some scars. There's gonna be some stuff. Proverbs 22, verse 6, start children off on the way they should go. We know this. We talk about this in parenting. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Last week, we had child dedication with these families that were blessing and were laying hands on. And every parent who has kids in, in the home right now, you understand, you're not just hoping to train them. You're hoping that you're setting them on a trajectory. Because finishing well means staying on the path not detouring from it, not having shipwrecks. We don't want moments of wisdom, we want a life of wisdom. And if we were to say, well, what does Proverbs mean when it talks about finishing well? We might say it this way, finishing well means living wisely over the long haul. Finishing well means living wisely over the long haul. We don't want to get to the end only to stumble and fall. When I first moved here 21 years ago, I started out at New Life Church as an intern, as an apprentice in the worship department to the worship pastor at the time, a man named Ross Parsley. Some of you will know that name, remember Ross, remember those years. 
And Ross thought that it would be a good idea that since I had joined the team as an intern that I should, I should join these other interns who actually were part of kind of the student ministry stuff. They'd been working out. They had a fitness regimen. My worship internship was like, if Ross was leading worship at a funeral, I would be his piano player. You know, like I would transcribe music. These guys are like working out, serving hard. And so Ross says, hey, these interns, these other interns are going to go hike Pike's Peak. I think you should join them. Like, man, that's kind of cruel, you know? Like, give me a song to write a chord chart for. I can do that. If you're asking me to go, I've only lived, at, at this point, I'd only lived here like a couple months. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'll be a good soldier. I'll be a good intern. I'll join these other interns. We'll hike Pikes Peak. What time are we meeting? Uh, excuse me, what time is that? Oh, dark 30. And so we go, and I've got my little backpack, and I got a PB&J. I got some water bottles in my Nalgene, or my, you know, water in my Nalgene. I've got some saltine crackers, whatever. And we start going. And at first, if you've ever done this, you know, when you start, you're like, oh, it's not too bad. It's like a wide path. I thought we were climbing a mountain. Psh, I got this. It's like this wide dirt path. And all of a sudden, you're like, this is harder than it looks like it should be. And you keep going, and you keep going. You're like, are we running out of oxygen? Literally, yes. <laughs> and there was a point when I was like, man, my backpack is getting heavy, but there was nothing in it. I'd eaten the sandwich even, you know? And this other intern was like second year or third year intern, intern was like, Glenn, do you, do you want me to carry your backpack? I was like, no, man, I got, I got this, you know? An hour later, I'm like, what is in this thing? It's like a few crackers, you know? And I was like, yeah, could you, do you, do you mind carrying this? He's carrying this. We make it to, you know, bar camp or whatever. We stop for lunch and we keep going. And at that point, the, the rest of the trip, you know, you're beyond Timberline. I'm like stopping every 30 minutes thinking, oh, I'm cramping up. I'm never going to make it. We got to somehow. So we're pu I'm pushing through. And then someone says, hey, when you see the sign that says the 16 golden stairs, you're near the end. I thought, glory, 16 golden stairs. I can do it. Now, how many of you know? that the 16 golden stairs are not actually stairs. They are, in fact, a set of switchbacks. If somebody ever tells you the final part of hiking Pikes Peak are, is 16 golden stairs, just say, the devil is a liar. <laughs> because that's not true. It's a set of switchbacks. And so I'm trying to hike this thing. And I'm like, what? These are stairs. These are switchbacks. And so I'm making it. We're stopping and we're getting back. You know, and we're finally making And I'm straggling in the group. I'm like towards the end of the pack of, there was 50 or so that started out. And I'm in the last five or six. And as I make it toward there, I can see the summit and I can see the rest of the interns are sitting on the top there. And I'm like maybe 20 yards from the finish and they start cheering for us. They start clapping. In fact, I heard one of them say, yeah, Glenn Pacquiao, come on, let's go. And I was like, <gasps> chariots of fire started playing in the background. <laughs> da, 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 da. And I decide I am going to sprint the last 20 yards. I, this is it. I got it. And I start sprinting, except nobody told my hamstrings. And I, my legs or something happened, and I just tripped. And, and what I heard was, yeah! <laughs> and I got back up and made it. And we don't want that. When you think about finishing well, we don't want that. We don't want to be like, yeah! So what do the scriptures say to us? about how we live wisely over the long haul. This morning as we wrap up Proverbs, I actually want to draw from more than just Proverbs. Proverbs belongs in a collection of books in the Bible that the ancient Hebrews called wisdom literature. 
wisdom literature. So you have the Torah, the instructions, the commandments, and then you have wisdom literature, which is meant to sort of show you the complexity and invite you into the tensions of life. Wisdom literature is set right next to the Torah and the instruction, the commandments, because you don't just, life doesn't just work sort of in this black and white way. In fact, within wisdom literature itself, there's this grittiness to it. I had a professor in seminary who said, Proverbs says, do these things and life will work out this way. And Ecclesiastes says, we did and it didn't. And I appreciate that the Bible has that sort of dynamic tension so that we can wrestle and say, God, what's going on? And how do we know you in the midst of this? So we're going to look at Ecclesiastes a little bit. And then we're going to look ahead to the New Testament. Because when you see Jesus, you see a person who really actually did live righteously. And life really didn't work out the way people thought it should. And so we're going to look at... Living wisely over the long haul, we're going to draw on wisdom from Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Jesus himself. Number one, if you're taking notes, the life of wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. The life of wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's how Proverbs opens up. Then Proverbs 9, verses 10 through 11, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that verse. It's a way of saying, look, there's many things you need to understand about life, but the most important thing, the key of all of it, is the knowledge of God and His holiness. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. Wisdom is how our life begins to flourish. It actually adds days. And then Proverbs 10 says, no, 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 it's the fear of the Lord that adds length to life. As a way of saying, it's not just wisdom disconnected from the wise God. It's this fear of the Lord that actually leads to the length of life. The years of the wicked are cut short. You get to Ecclesiastes and the teacher figure in Ecclesiastes talks about how life is a vapor, a breath, a mist. And sometimes it's hard to understand what what we're working for and what we're toiling for and what all this labor is for. And does it even matter? Is it all vanity? But at the end of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says this, of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. And every student about to return to school says, I know, right? (laughs) And then the teacher says, now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's the bottom line. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The life of wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. But it's worth pausing here for a moment and saying, what what do we mean by the fear of the Lord? Because maybe some of you grew up in a church environment or around Christians where all you heard was sort of the wagging of the finger, the scowling God. And so fear of the Lord is like, man, no thanks, man. I don't need that kind of shame-based religion. But when the scripture says the fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean that we live intimidated of God. It means that we live in awe of God. In fact, if we were to define it, put it in one sentence, we'd say, what is the fear of the Lord? It's awe-inspired surrender to God. Awe-inspired surrender. And we know this because of the way the scriptures introduce us to God. The scriptures don't introduce us to a God that is 
that is uh, in the beginning is angry and irritable and in a foul mood. Sometimes the atheists like Richard Dawkins and others, that's how they caricature the Old Testament. Like, oh, God's just grumpy in the Old Testament. It's not true. Look closer. Look closer in Genesis. What you discover is when we're introduced to God, it says, in the beginning, God, as in only one. In the ancient world, you needed several. You needed to figure out how to please and appease different kinds of gods. If you wanted rain, you needed to figure out the sacrifices for that god. If you wanted your crops to grow, you needed this one. If you needed fertility, this one. If you needed a victory in battle, this god. And you had a whole pantheon of deities that you had to somehow learn how to please and appease in order to make life work. And the Old Testament begins by saying, no, no, no. In the beginning, God. There's only one. And more than that, this one God is all you need. He's the sovereign. How does Genesis even give us a clue in that? Well, very simply, it tells us that this God made the sun and this God made the moon. And you're like, well, that's kind of cool. But no, no, no. In the ancient world, they thought some of their gods were the sun. So imagine when the storyteller in Genesis says, and God made the sun. It's like they're saying, my God made your God. (laughs) It's like they're trolling the ancient civilizations and saying, no, 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 not only is our God the sole God, he's the sovereign God. And then you keep reading and this is a God who looks at the world that he had made and says, it's good, it's good, it's good. This is a God who is the sole sovereign God who is good, God who is loving. When Moses gets a picture of God's character, God reveals himself as the one who is full of mercy and compassion. I grew up in a country that is a Muslim country. Muslims emphasize the sovereignty of God. Our family, we were, I grew up in a Christian home and we were a minority percentage of the nation. And we were very aware that while Islam has this emphasis on a sovereign God, Christianity says there's more to the picture than that. God is good and loving. And so when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about, oh, I better. It's a, oh, yes, God. I gladly, awe-inspired surrender. I told you last week about my parents and how when they got radically saved, they got rid of some of their music choices and it really got reduced down to this Hosanna tape of the month club thing, you know, worship tapes. And every Saturday, my parents would put on the latest Hosanna cassette tape and they would just crank it. You know, my sister and I are trying to sleep in. It's Saturday. And they're like, no, it's Family Devo. So they would wake us up by like blasting the Hosanna tape. And then they would sing on top of it. And God bless them. It wasn't always with the key, you know. And then they would sing in the spirit, sing in tongues over it. And we're like, oh my goodness, we better get out of bed now, you know. <laughs> but I think about my parents and they have always been worshipers. And early in my teenage years, I think of them doing the Holy Ghost jig, you know. And that was kind of the, the way you'd worship and jump. And now, they've, they moved here eight years ago. They live here, and I have the privilege of looking across the room oftentimes on a Sunday. And I watch them, and they're just worshiping, just worshiping. And what it says to me is that a life that begins and ends with the fear of the Lord is a life that looks like a worshiper. It looks like someone who's always in awe of God. Listen, church, I don't want to be the person that the older I get, the more curmudgeonly I get about worship. Then I'm like, well, I don't know about that song. Eh, that verse, that word. Eh. 
The older I get, I just want to be like, oh, God, yes. I want to be, I want to follow in those footsteps my parents have walked in to, to all through your decades of life to become a better worshiper, not a worse one. Living in the fear of the Lord. Awe-inspired surrender. Secondly, the life of wisdom looks like the cross. The life of wisdom looks like the cross. When we talk about finishing well, means living wisely over the long haul, and the life of wisdom looks like the cross. This is countercultural. Because all of our pictures of living well or finishing well look like adding strength, gaining power, becoming more dominant, waking up every day and winning. But the life in Christ says actually the life of wisdom and finishing well looks like a downward descent. It looks like the giving away of your life. It looks like the cross. Paul was writing to a church in Corinth and Corinth was a city that used to be the origin of the Isthmus Games. It was kind of like the Olympics. And they had, it was a city of champions, of, of, of athletes, of success. It was a city that was perfectly positioned for economic trade. And so it was a city that knew wealth. It was also a city renowned for its immorality, sexual immorality. Corinthianized became a slang for being immoral. And Paul says to this group of Christians who are living in a city that is obsessed with status and sexual prowess and success by the world by their own definitions, Paul writes to this church, I've got a message for you. There is an abundant life in Christ, but it doesn't look like Corinth. It doesn't look like the world around you. In fact, he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. Paul knows right out of the gate, I got to tell you, I came with a message that's going to sound foolish. It's going to sound countercultural, counter but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Isn't that fascinating? Sometimes we look at what we think is the good life and like, okay, how do I know God through this like advice of this person or this person or this person? And Paul's like, you're following the wrong breadcrumbs. You're looking at the wrong trail. In fact, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. This is funny. I mean, you ever have conversations with your coworkers or your neighbors? Like, hey, what'd you do this weekend, Bob? Well, well, yeah, I mean, I did this on Saturday, some errands, and what'd you do on Sunday? Well, Bob, I was hoping you wouldn't ask, but I went to church. Church? What do you guys do when you go to church? Well, you know, we sing. It's like karaoke, like they're like a yellow bouncing ball. You're like, no, it's better than that. And you're like, and then what? Well, then you know, someone comes up and talks. Like, is it like a TED talk? Not usually as good. <laughs> when I'm here. You know, how, how do we explain? This is foolishness. And yet it invites us to see the wisdom of God, the foolishness of preaching. And then Paul says, Jews asked for signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A crucified Messiah, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Scandal to Jews because who ever heard of a deliverer who ends up dying? Who ever heard of a Messiah who ends up getting himself killed? What? 
Scandal to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The life of wisdom looks like the cross. For many of us, we, we like the cross so long as it's Jesus on the cross. We like the cross, like, oh, I'm so thank you for the cross, Lord. I just love the cross. Jesus, you who died on the cross. And he's like, true. And take up your cross and follow me. And you're like, yeah, I'm not really a cross guy. <laughs> like, I, I like, like reading, like the Bible, like that's cool. I like singing. This is cool. But cross, not so much. Jesus is like, yeah, no, but that's what discipleship means. No, no, I like to sing about Jesus and his cross. And he's like, that's awesome. It is about my cross. And because it's about my cross, I'm calling you to take up yours. The life of wisdom looks like the cross. The theologian and ethicist Stanley Harawas put it this way. He said, discipleship is quite simply extended training in being dispossessed, in losing To become followers of Jesus means that we must, like him, be dispossessed of all that we think gives us power over our own lives and the lives of others. I hate this quote. (laughs) Because it's like, I I, want to come to Jesus. So Teach me that little technique about prayer so I can control my life. Teach me that little tip so I can control my spouse. Teach me that little bit of wisdom, Glenn, so I can control my kids. Teach me that, listen, the Bible is not offering us techniques and tips to control others or control our circumstances. The Bible offers us a pathway to the cross. The life of wisdom looks like the cross. And just as Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him gave up his life. Jesus who said, no one takes my life. That's the only trick with that word dispossessed is it sounds like someone else is taking things from you. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And in a similar way, to follow Jesus in the way of the cross is to gladly, joyfully say, I lay my life down. I'm going to give it. Many of us, as we grow older, we start to become more protective, possessive, We start to become obsessed about our legacy and our reputation. But the way of Jesus, the way of the cross invites us to actually become freer. To say, what what do you need? You want this? You got this. Here. Anything I have, it's yours. We become more and more open-handed. You see this in marriage, extended training in being open-handed. Doesn't mean we don't speak for our own needs. It doesn't mean we don't voice our own desires. It doesn't mean we become swallowed up in the other person and enmeshed in them. It just means that even as we differentiate and ask for what we need and figure out how to live in mutuality and unity, there's no other way in a Christian marriage except that you will end up going through the cross to each other. There's no other way. Several months ago, I was sitting down to meet with a friend who has been going through a difficult time and he, his, his wife is battling an illness that many days leaves her unable to get out of bed and he's working hard and he feels like he's trying to pick up the pieces and some, there are some good days and there's some difficult days. And, and we got together and we're talking and we spent 
an extra amount of time on small stuff. And we're talking about this and that. And we're talking about lots of other hobbies. And I'm wondering, why, why are we meeting? If you, like, and then it occurred to me, I think he just wanted 30 minutes where he could feel normal for a bit. <laughs> just talk about some other things. We're, we're, we're enjoying that. But after about 30 minutes of that, we started to talk again about the difficulty and the challenges he's facing. And he's like, Glenn, this is, it's hard. And I don't think I'm doing a good job. And, I, you know. And finally, toward the end of the hour or so, I, I looked over, I, I looked at him and I said, bro, I, what I see is someone who's living a cross-shaped life. Someone who's embracing the way of Jesus. He started crying. He's like, I don't know if I'm doing it all that well. And I said, well, even Jesus stumbled carrying the cross up the hill. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's perfect but you're embracing the way of Christ, well done. And sometimes our gift to each other is to not only be a witness, but to be a reminder that the life of wisdom finishing well is not getting stronger and stronger, but finishing well means living more and more like the crucified Jesus, where our love is being given away for others. My friend Joel Edwards, just a picture of him, Joel, was eight years old when he moved from Jamaica to the United Kingdom. His family moved to London. And Joel grew up in a vibrant church and began to do theological training, was in ministry. Joel became the first black leader of the Evangelical Alliance in the UK. Tremendous man. Eventually directed a ministry called Micah's Challenge, which helps address situations of extreme poverty. I first met Joel in 2013, when I started my, doctoral, my doctorate in theology at Durham University in the UK, and this is a, this is a picture of how I often could picture Joel. Because I would go there for these one-week uh, times together, and we'd basically be clustered in rooms where we'd share updates on our research with one another. And Joel was a couple years ahead of me in his research, and he was always so encouraging. He'd be like, Glenn, I love that. And he would just sh- share encouraging comments, and we'd go out and enjoy meals together with a group of the other students. A few years ago, Joel was diagnosed with cancer and he summoned people to pray for him and all around the world people were praying for God to heal him and for a moment, for a long stretch actually, the cancer went in remission and it seemed to be that there was a miracle that was happening. And then earlier this year, it came back with a vengeance and it came back in a severe form and this summer he passed away. And I found out, like so many others did, on his own Facebook page. Because before he died, he took the time to write a note. And here's a man on his deathbed who if he had said, why God, we would not have faulted him. Here's a man on his deathbed or if he had said, all I need right now is this and this and this, we would not have faulted him. But here's a man who on his deathbed, decided to write a note to all the people who'd been praying for him. And this is what Joel said. He said, dear friends, this is to say a final goodbye. First, my incredible thanks for your prayers, love, and holding on with me to that fingernail miracle. Words cannot express the depth, breadth, and height of my gratitude, but I have gone home. My earnest prayer is that your faith and tenacity on my behalf will not be considered a pointless religious exercise. What a sentence. 
Here he is aware that for many people, for the living, this could be a moment of profound disappointment and disorientation. He says, I don't want you to think it was a pointless religious exercise, but that it will have strengthened your faith in God who is marvelous, mysterious, and majestic in all that he does, the faithful one. In many ways, the life that looks like the cross involves not only the ways that we love the people around us, but also has something to say about dying well. Dying in a way that even in death says, oh Lord, take care of my people. Take care of my friends. That's the cross-shaped life. But if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, that's nice. I'd like to finish well that way, but my life is kind of a mess. I feel like I went off the tracks a long time ago. I get it. Living, finishing well does not mean that there's no mistakes or missteps. Finishing well doesn't mean that there's no stumbling. Finishing well doesn't mean that life follows the script. Listen, it never does. You're not the only one. Living this way is not just difficult, it's actually impossible. And that's why the third and final thing to say this morning is that the life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. It requires the Holy Spirit who is our breath, who is our life, who feeds us and sustains us. Paul writing to the Ephesians this time says this, he says, so be careful to live wise, live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. And because of this, don't be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity, but instead be filled with the Spirit. New life. The invitation to renew and be renewed in the spirit, to pray the prayer that Pastor Brady says all the time, come Holy Spirit. The invitation to do that is not simply so we can say, woohoo, I had a Holy Ghost experience. That's great. I like those. I love those. The invitation to be renewed in the Holy Spirit is so we can live wisely in evil times. It's so we can finish well. It's so we can say, God, take the broken pieces. God, take the disconnected dots of my life. And I'm not handing it over to the universe to connect the dots. I'm handing it over to the Savior, Jesus Christ, to connect the dots, to redeem the story, to heal our pain, to rescue us from our failures, to put together the broken pieces. The life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. See, here's the truth. As human beings, The goal is that we go from dependence to independence, maybe to interdependence. But in the Christian life, it's very simple. In the Christian life, you go from independence to dependence and more dependence and more dependence and more dependence on God until we become one with Christ. The truth is, is as we grow, we are meant to become more dependent, not less on the Holy Spirit. We're meant to become more dependent. If you're a new Christian and you're like, I, I, I need more of this, I gotta go to the Bible study, I gotta sign up for the women's group, I gotta great, but I just want you to know that actually the whole life of faith is leaning more and more on Jesus. The whole life of faith is that. As you stand this morning, I wanna demonstrate three postures for you that I think could sum up this whole sermon. Stand with me. The life of wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. That looks like upward hands, 
upward hands that say, oh God, like we were singing this morning, majesty on the throne, be exalted, upward hands from a heart of worship. And the life of wisdom looks like the cross, that's outstretched hands. That's hands that say, God, my life is not my own. My stuff is not my own. My, my positions, my power is not my own. It's yours. God, let it be for the sake of the world. Let it be for the life of the world. And then the life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. That's open hands where we come to God and we say, feed me, <laughs> quench my thirst, fill me up. And this morning I want to invite you, some of you might be in the place where you're saying, actually God is convicting me, I've let my heart get crusty. I wouldn't say I'm a better worshiper today than I was when I first came to Jesus. Maybe for you the response is to say, upward hands, God, upward hands. Give me awe-inspired surrender again. Others of you, you're saying, you know what, it is true. The more success I've had, the tighter fisted I've become. And I want to live with open hands, outstretched hands, excuse me outstretched hands. Others of you, you're saying, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, it's been hard, tired. Maybe you're at the place this morning where you say it's open hands. I just need the Holy Spirit to renew me today. I want to invite you as we sing this next song, it might be that you go through all three, upward, outstretched, open. But just respond to the Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus again today. Turn to Jesus again today, the author and the finisher of our faith, the only one who can take our broken pieces and make something beautiful in his time. Let's worship him this morning. And your body was given for all the broken of the world now by your wounds we are.
Let's lift it up. Let's sing that together. Christ has died. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This is the mystery of faith that we proclaim. Oh, we stand in you. We stand in your truth. communion elements so you can begin to open it up so you have the wafer in one hand and the cup in the other. I really think language around the Lord's table matters so much and sometimes we, we think of this as the moment where we take communion. But I want to suggest to you this morning that taking is how sin entered the world anyway. Taking the fruit. Taking what we thought we needed. And Jesus broke the curse of sin and death by giving his life. And so really when we come to the Lord's table, we're not taking communion, we're receiving it. We're receiving it. Our hands are open here. That posture of open hands, we come once again. And so as you hold the wafer and the cup in your hands this morning, just say with me, I receive your grace. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for who you are. We repent, Lord, for the ways that we have gone astray and followed our own ways. We repent for the ways that we've tried to fix or make right, be in charge. We're coming today wanting that awe-inspired surrender wanting to embrace the cross, wanting to depend on you. Jesus, be our bread. Jesus, be our cup. Jesus, be our more than enough. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it, and you can break it in your hands. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Hold on to it for a second. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks to the Father, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. So church, let's remember Jesus today. Christ who died, we remember. Christ who is risen, we encounter you, God. Christ who will come again, we anticipate the day. And now these are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Let's receive the bread together. Let's receive the cup together. And all that's left now is to respond with thanksgiving to our God. Yeah, lift it up. Hallelujah. Sing it pray for you and send you out I just want to invite our altar ministry team to the front if anybody's here and you're like I really need someone to stand with me pray with me help me to respond to the grace of God today please don't hesitate to do that if you're new or newish to new life you never figured out your place in the family here we'd love to meet you at connect central out in the lobby We'd love to connect with you church let's pray one more time so father as we go from this place Send us out now, rooted in the love of God, guarded by the peace of God, sent with the power of God, so that we might put your faithfulness on display. God, take the broken pieces, the disconnected dots, and make something beautiful with us. To your glory, and for the good of the world. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Well, New Life North, it's been great hanging out with you these last few weeks. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.